Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. So, I've got a couple of plugs. Every time I get to the front, I always like to push our youth. That's where my heart is. Anytime we split into teams in our pre-service, I will always go to the kids' team, no matter what, because that's, I believe, God has put in my heart. This generation, not our next generation, but this generation, who need to know the Word of God. So, breakout guys, you're going to stay in this morning, and because you're staying in, we're going to let the church experience break out. If this is your first time here a couple of weeks back, as a youth, we are supporting Tear Fund this year, and we're doing a Dare to Journey challenge, which we're going to try and reenact the journey that a refugee would take from their country to freedom. And there's lots of different, there's uh, 500K, there's 800K, there's 1100K, and we're going to set a challenge to see how far we can get. And that's accumulated by kayaking, by running, by biking, all sorts of different challenges. And it's on the 13th of May. I appreciate that that is the Northwest. I have no interest in motorbikes, so hence I didn't realize that was the Northwest. So anybody who's not at the Northwest can come along. Come and see me at the end. I'll give you more details. I'm not going to go on about it too much. But during this week, on Tuesday, we had our first R8 youth football team taking part in a tournament. So that was this week. I have had an absolute crazy week. Okay, on Tuesday, we had the football tournament, and it hammered down, and we got soaked, but it was great fun. It took most of the day. I then went to work up at my sister's, doing 12-hour days, trying to fit three days of work into one and a half, and then yesterday, we were in Scotland all day, and I've had a crazy week. So before I even open God's Word, I'm going to take a minute to stop, and I think it's really important as a church, we take a minute to stop and settle our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, because that's what God's Word is about. It's stopping the busyness. God created the world in six days, and the seventh He rested. That's what this is about. That's what this space is about, a space to not worry about work, a space to not worry about youth, a space to not worry about kids, programs, and all that, a space to stop and let God speak. So, I want to talk to you quickly about things that we do just for show. So, one of the things I do just for show and I didn't realize, but uh, as my kids got older and they started doing it, I, I started to realize. When I go on holiday, I always wear my football top. When I travel, I always put the team that I support on to travel. I don't play for that team. I support that team. But I do it just for show. Just for show. I wonder what you do just for show. Here's another one. Freestyle footballers. I don't know if you've ever come across them. You see them on YouTube and stuff. Guys who do amazing things with footballs. Tricks that you can only dream or imagine. I saw a clip the other day of one of these Brazilian guys, freestyle footballer, and he was against Kevin De Bruyne. Anybody who knows football knows Kevin De Bruyne. He's an amazing footballer. And the idea was, was to try and get the ball through his ne- legs, to nutmeg him, try and get the ball through his legs. And this freestyle footballer had all the tricks in the world, and he got it through Kevin's legs, okay? But that freestyle footballer doesn't play for a team. He doesn't have the influence on football that Kevin De Bruyne has. He isn't an amazing footballer. He's got amazing skills, but it's just for show. 
He doesn't really take them skills onto a pitch, or maybe he's tried and he can't. We do things just for show. I asked the girls in our house, what do girls do just for show? I could stand here and give you a whole list of men things, but what do girls do just for show? One of them came up with Gucci handbags. If you've got a Gucci handbag at the minute, just slide it under the seat. Uh, yeah, you have your Gucci handbag, you carry it, proud as punch, like I wear my football top, and you're proud, but it's just for show. Just for show. What else have we got? Here's some for the younger guys here. And I see it in youth starting to creep in. Vaping. Young people. Guys, vaping is just putting chemicals into your body that you don't need. But at the start, a lot of our young people do it just for show. Maybe back in the day, it would have been cigarettes. Somebody came to you at 12, 13, 14. Try this. It was never going to be any good for you. It tastes horrible. I remember the first time I tasted alcohol. It was horrible. I said to the guys at rugby, what do you do this for? This is stinking. But you, you took it just for show. And I never took it again, I'll be honest with you. Here's another one I've seen creeping in. Gangs out there, right across all the major cities in, in, in England and here, for some reason they now all have dogs. Yeah, for some reason they have grey pit bull terriers or Staffordshire bull terriers. And you see pictures of them all masked up with their hats on, dark clothes, standing with their dog. Hard men, just for show. You know, in our lives, we do lots of things when we think about it, just for show. And when Phil asked me to speak on Monday, I was in the gym on Tuesday morning, and I was in the change room on my own, and I, and I just said, God, what do, you, what do you want to say? Before I went back to work, I said, God, show me your word. And I opened up my, my phone and my Bible app, and I started going through the Bible. And I looked at Genesis, Exodus, and I thought, yeah, we're doing Moses and youth. Maybe we could do that. Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What about Joshua? G Joshua and Gideon, great stories. Ruth, brilliant stories. And, and, and went through the Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Psalms, brilliant. You've got a mountain of material there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel, what a story. Yes, Daniel. All these stories that I'm familiar with. And then I came to the book of Joel, and it jumped out at me. And God said, Steve, speak on Joel. I said, God, who's Joel? I know it from the books of the Bible because I've been teaching them at youth, but who's Joel? What's Joel ever done? What am I going to get out of Joel? So I opened Joel up on the way to work, and I, I listened to it on, on, the, on my phone as I was driving down to work. And again, it was like a poetic uh, rendition of doom and gloom. Uh, Israel had just been taken over by locusts. Yeah, little small animals were destroying the nation of Israel. And they'd had all the crops, and people were dying, and the, and the economy was going to pot, and there was a pandemic. I said that word four years ago, you wouldn't have a clue. We sort of get the logic of that now, don't we? Where something comes in and takes over our lives and changes it round. And the children of Israel were at a really, really low ebb. So again, who, I said to God, who is Joel? So as I looked into this further, it worked out very quickly that Joel was a prophet. So what's a prophet? In the Bible, there's major prophets and there's minor prophets. Now that doesn't mean that the major prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, did anything better than Joel did. All it means is that the books of the Bible are longer. 
So Joel was a prophet. What was Joel's job? So I looked in into further, and, and Jeremiah gives us a description of a prophet. What was a prophet's job? The prophet's job was to pull down, was to destroy, was to throw away. Sounds pretty doom and gloom, doesn't it? Then there's two more at the end, five roles of a prophet, to pull down, to destroy, to throw away, to build, and to plant. And that's basically how the book of Joel went. Joel came in. It was his job to speak to the children of Israel. Prophets had a major role in the country. When God spoke, they spoke through the prophet. And the prophet would come before the people, gather them all together, and he would say, God is going to say this. Joel came before the people. This had all happened to the people. And we're going to pick this up at Joel um, chapter 2 and verse 12. And as I'm reading the Bible, I want everybody to stand up. I came across this. Everybody stand up. You know, the reading of the Scriptures is really important. It's a really vital thing. It tells us in the Bible that we should publicly read the Scriptures. There's countries in this world where if we were to publicly read the Scriptures, we would either be arrested, imprisoned, or even killed. And that's why I think it's really important just to change our position and to focus in on God's Word. Back in the day, I would have always took my Bible to church. Now we take our phones, and that's fine. But I always remember the focus of reading God's Word. I'm going to read just two verses. And they're from Joel chapter 2. And this is what it says. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great of kindness. And he relents from doing harm. This is the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Thank you. And as I read through this couple of verses, I read through the whole book of Joel, these two verses jumped out at me. And as I read through 12, I understand what it said there, that to turn our hearts towards God. To fast. Phil's done series on fasting. That's really important. We fast as a church once a year, sometimes twice a year. I understand what weeping is. There's times in my life where I've cried. My kids are probably sitting there saying, Daddy, I've never seen you cry. But yes, I have. I've wept. I've cried. There's been times of mourning in my life. Times of loss. But then it came to this verse 13. And it said this. So rend your hearts and not your garments. And I looked at that word rend. And I started to investigate a little bit more about what the word rend meant. I'm going to get some of the youth guys involved um, just to, to sort of explain this word rend. I don't know if there's anybody here who likes the Hulk. Who likes the Hulk? Who remembers the Hulk back in the day? I remember as a kid watching the Hulk. Yeah, anybody follow Marvel? We still follow Marvel. Uh, Andrew's been to his Marvel, and we go and watch movies. But I remember the Hulk. And I remember when the Hulk used to get angry, and he would put his T-shirt on, and he would rip it. And I used to love that, and I used to wish I could do that. The reason I wanted to share that with you this morning was to explain what the word rend means. What the word rain means. What it means, what was God talking about? Don't rend your garments. 
rend your hearts. And you know, back in the day of Joel, how the people dealt with mourning, how they dealt with sadness, even sometimes how they dealt with anger was by rending their garments, was by a shoe of ripping off their garments. And even as you go through the Old Testament, King David himself rent his garments. Elijah, in a state of despair, rent his garments. And right through the Bible, Israelite people would understand totally this concept of rending their garments. Here's what the Hebrew word rend means. To split, to tear in pieces, to rip, to bust, to separate abruptly or with violence. And as you saw there this morning, them guys had to really put their strength into it. Rending something is something that takes a lot of energy. It's something that you're not just messing about at. If they had to sat there and sort of went like this, their t-shirts wouldn't have gone too far. And as Joel stood before the, the children of Israel, who had disobeyed God in so many ways, who had turned their face from God, the Word of God came to them, and it was this, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. I don't want you anymore to do things for show. I don't want you anymore just to do it because the rules say you do it. We're all very good at that, aren't we? Just doing it because we have to do it. God says, I want you to rend your heart. What does it mean? What is God saying here to rend your heart? You know, we sing a song in church here sometimes. It's called Hosanna. And in the bridge of that song, here's what the words are. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you've loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, we just sing them words. I wonder if we really understand them. I wonder if you've really come to God and said, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. What breaks God's heart? The protection of the unborn child. In Jeremiah and in Psalms, it's clear it says that God created us in our womb and that we should protect that child. In Exodus, it clearly says anyone who hurts or damages the unborn child is wrong, is evil. How much does that break our hearts? How much does that rend our hearts? Does it rend our hearts to go tut, 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 and that's it? We do nothing more about it? I wonder how much do we do to protect the unborn child, to protect those kids, the orphan and the widow? In James, it clearly says we should look after the orphans and the widows, those children who have nobodies, those parents who have nobody to help them. We're meant to be there. We're meant to help them. Romans 12, 20 says we should feed the hungry. Does it really break our hearts that there's people out there starving? Do we do anything about it? Do we just say, yeah, that's bad. 
I can't do anything. Or do we rend our hearts? Do we do what that song says? Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. For foreigners, or aliens it sometimes says in the Bible. It means that word foreigners, for people who have come into our country. What a great example this morning. Phil is raised. Does it break your heart that there's a family who has no home, who has no furniture, who has no food? Does that affect you? Or do we just pull on with life? I'm too busy. I've got this. I've got that. I've got my own family to look after. I've got to keep myself right. Don't you have? But how much do we rend our hearts? How much does our heart break for what breaks God's heart? What about the prosecuted church? What about those brothers and sisters who are across the world at the minute? Whose lives are in fret. Who wake up in the morning and not knowing what to do. I follow an organization called Open Doors. And each morning I use this little prayer card. And I'm going to read this morning's for you. It says this, for Sunday the 16th of April. The World Watch List highlights how China is leading attempts to redefine human rights with a focus more on stability and security than value and dignity. It represents a dangerous move towards global authoritarianism, with regimes exerting greater control over their people. Pray that these plans will be frustrated. China, a huge influence in this world. They're now saying, human rights, we'll decide what human rights are. We'll decide what you can read and what you can't read. We'll decide whether you can go to church or where you can't go to church. And it's not just China, it's right across the world. And this is affecting our brothers and sisters who love God, whose heart breaks like God's heart breaks. Does that affect you this morning? Do you sit there and go, whatever. I'm here. I'm doing a little bit. I'm helping in crash. I'm on team. I help at youth. I run a soup kitchen. Yes, all them things are brilliant. But does it really rend your heart? Does it really break your heart to the point where you want to do something about it? To the point where you want to split and tear in pieces the bus, to separate, to brutally with violence? Now, I'm not saying we're creating violence. No. But what I'm saying, does it grab your heart? Does it affect you in any way? What is Joel saying to the people this morning? And to you this morning, what's God saying to you through these verses? He's saying, what you do for show doesn't count. I want you to rend your hearts. I want you to turn towards God. I want you to change your attitude. You know what else breaks God's heart? You know what else breaks God's heart? Is our sin. The things we do on a daily basis and keep doing and don't really try and change you know, that breaks God's heart. We've just had Easter. And we've learned all about the, what Jesus did for us on that cross. Those nails he took to take the punishment for our sins. Yet so many people, and sometimes myself too, well, it doesn't really matter. Jesus died on the cross from a sin. 
I don't really need to have to change my ways. I'll try, but if I get it wrong, whatever. Jesus has forgiven me. God's grace covers me, and it does. And don't get me wrong, that grace is powerful. But I wonder, does it break your heart when you keep doing that wrong thing over and over and over again? You know, if it did, you'd do something about it. We have to train our brain, our natural instinct is to say, somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt them. Our natural instinct is to say, somebody lets me down, well, that's it, I've had enough with you. Our natural instinct, oh, I've helped you three or four times, and you don't even say thank you, is to say, forget it. Isn't it? That's our natural instinct. But folks, if our heart's rendered, if our heart is changed, really changed, we have to fight that. We have to fight that natural instinct. We have to say, no, I'm going to keep giving, and I'm going to keep giving, and I'm going to keep giving. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for me. Because Jesus gave everything. And folks, it's hard. Anybody who does CrossFit will realize it's tiring. It's difficult. But eventually you get to that point where you can't take that bar off the floor. You can't throw it above your head. Because you've trained your brain to say, this is okay. And you know, we need to do that with our sinful nature. We need to say no. You know, this came to me as I was preparing this. No doesn't have to be a negative. Okay? I brought four kids up, still am, trying my hardest. I used to say to them, don't say no. The first word they would learn was no. Go and do this. No. No, daddy. No, daddy. Still get it sometimes. No, daddy. How many parents here have heard it? No, daddy. You know, no doesn't have to be a negative. Sometimes it's good to say no. I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not going to watch that Netflix series. The football match yesterday, and I was talking to a fella I'd never met before in my life, and I was asking him about uh, Sky TV. He had Sky TV and stuff, and he says, "Oh, I've got this dongle." He says, 50 quid it cost me. Everything, everything on TV, I get it for 50 quid, and that's it." I said, oh, "Okay," and he went on and on about it, to the point that he was getting his phone out, and he said, "Look, I'll send you this message. I'll send you this." And I'm like, mate. I'm not sure that's the right thing. I know it's not the right thing to do, but it's all right. 50 quid. He said, you can watch whatever sport, uh, pay-per-view, boxing, everything. You just, they send you the link from somewhere in South Korea, and, and that's it. I said, no. I've got my Sky dish. It cost me £35. That's what I have to pay. If I can't afford it, I get rid of it. I don't want your £50 dongle, whatever it is. You know, we have to, and it's hard. It's tempting. I love sport. I'd love to watch whatever I like. But sometimes we have to say no. No does not have to be a negative. And when your heart is rendered towards God, no becomes a little bit easier. I find it difficult. Anybody who's self-employed here will know this time of year is where you put your accounts in. So I've had to gather up all my accounts from through the year, and I was sharing this with Kathy the other day, and she was laughing. And I did quite a big job back in April of last year, which falls into the, this year's accounts. And I hadn't wrote it in my book. And I thought, I'll just leave it. All right. Nobody, nobody ever know. Be fine. And I just left it, wrote all my accounts out and did it and about to fire them in. And this was on my mind. And it was on my mind. And it was eating away at me. And I said, look, Lord, I'll never find the receipts for it. I'm never going to be able to work out what it was. I know it was this and that. And God said, you, you've got a mobile phone. You've got a banking app. You can go back to 2000, 
one. Well, maybe not that far back. And it'll tell you exactly what's come into your account and what's gone out. Okay, Lord, okay, I'll go and try and find it. If I don't find it, we'll just leave it. Find, find it. He says, so I started looking through receipts, and there are these two receipts popped out for the exact... And, and guys, I could have just left it. But no, it was wrong. And we have to train our brain to say, no, that is wrong. That is not how God wants me to live. He does not want me to honk the horn and shout violently out the window at somebody because they've just cut me up. And that's hard, I understand. He wants us to be different. He wants us to train our brains to say no. Guys, we don't have to do this alone. This is the great thing about this, and I'm bringing this round to a close now. We don't have to do this. And why do we not have to do this alone? And I came across this package, uh, this passage in preparing this. And I'm going to jump forward to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 51. And there's another time in the Bible where the word rend or rent comes up. And it's a powerful verse. And you know, the rending of garments was done back in Israel as a sign of grief. And I only discovered this this week, and I've heard this preached on loads of times. I only discovered this this week. Now, one, one thing I would say to you, and I, I, I found this out only yesterday. I would follow a lot of preachers on, online and YouTube, and I would watch them and listen to them and listen to what they have to say. Guys, whatever I say at the front, whatever Phil says at the front, test it from God's Word. Okay? Go back to God's Word. Because I watched three different commentaries on this verse in Matthew. Okay? And the three different commentaries explained that back in the day, the, 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 God had a tabernacle, and there was the Holy of Holies, and you could only go in there once a year. That was the only way we could get towards God. And you had to do this, this, and this to get in there. And these three good Christian men, good preachers, came up with a theory that when the high priest went, if you can imagine, he went through the first door, and then he, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had a rope tied to his, his leg. Because the Holy of Holies was so powerful, they were worried that in the presence of God, he would die, and that they would have to pull him out. So I find this really intriguing, and I had it all planned. I had a rope, I had Phil on a rope, and he was going across to the other side of church, and I was going to get him to fall down, and I was going to pull Phil out, because he'd been in the presence of God, and he was dead. And then I looked a bit further. And guys, it doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible. And as I look dig deeper and deeper and deeper, it's actually an old a Jewish folklore. And it's actually no, never proven, but it's just been passed down from generation to generation. And obviously these Christian preachers have come across it. But as I look further, and I came across a, a Messianic Jew rabbi guy, which is a, a Jew who's become a Christian, who, reckons, who, who recognizes Jesus for what he was, and he looked into it deeper, and he said, look, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible. So what, the reason I've thrown that in there is because whatever is said at the front here, whatever you listen to, test it in God's Word. Test it that it's in there. Because we love to dramatize things, don't we, Phil, as preachers? We do. We love to big things up. We love to put things in there that maybe aren't really there. You know, test it in God's Word. We don't have to do this alone. We can do it with God's help. Matthew 27 Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. When did that happen? That happened when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. 
You know, that happened for two reasons, and I came across this this week. I always thought that happened so that we could get into God's presence, and it did, and that's the most important thing. But you know, that happened because God the Father was mourning, violently mourning the death of his son. I have a son, and if my son died, I know I would violently mourn. You know, God the Father in heaven came down, and from the top to the bottom, he rent that curtain. Why? As a symbol of the fact that what Jesus did in that cross gave us the, pre- the power to come into the presence of God. The power that our sin was forgiven, that we didn't have to go through all these sacrifices through the year, that we could enter the Holy of Holies and we could enter that presence. Why? Because Jesus had took our sin. Because all those wrong things He took on the cross. His nails took the pain and the punishment that I should have taken, that you should have taken. Yet Jesus took it for us. Why? So that He could be with us. He defeated death so that we could enter that presence of God, so that we could come in and know the forgiveness of sins and realize that three days later, Jesus defeated death. And no longer do we need to struggle. No longer do we need to fight. Why? Because that sinful nature can be defeated by God. But are you willing this morning? Are you willing to train your brain to say no? Are you going to go out those doors, having been in the presence of God, and it not affect you at all. God says, I don't want you to rend your garments anymore. I don't want you to go for show anymore. I don't want you just to turn up to our rate, raise your hands, sing your songs, and go on at home. All great things to do. I want you to rend your heart. I want you to come before me. I want you to seek me. And guys, I finish with this. I'm going back to Joel. Because what was Joel's job? What was Joel's job as a prophet? He was to tear down. He was to say, what you're doing is wrong. Stop what you're doing. Throw it away. Start again. What was his last two points? It was to build up. When we rend our hearts, when we come before God and say sorry for those wrong things we've done, when we change that sinful nature, God moves in. And listen to this, and it's titled, God's Spirit Poured Out. And it shall come to pass. What does that mean? This will happen after you've done this that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Oh Lord, I just pray for our eight that we would see wonders. Guys, we're on the edge. We need to take this to the next level. We need to realize that God is a supernatural God who can do wonders, who can do powerful things. And when God's Spirit falls, when He convicts you of things that are wrong and you change them, His Spirit moves. This morning, Claire was sharing with us in ESPN. And I don't think she realized how significant it is. But she was sharing us some art. My wife, Kathy, 
does prophetic art. God shows her visions and she draws them. I don't know if Claire's in now, but Claire, that's what that is. What you did this morning was prophetic art. God showed you a vision, you drew it, and God spoke to you. It's prophecy. It's the Lord, it's the Spirit, it's moving in your life, and you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to spend hours drawing. And comes up with what was a masterpiece. And I don't, she played it down this morning. I don't think she realizes how important that is. You know, folks, I'm going to read this verse again, and then I'm going to sit down. The worship team are going to sing a song. And I want to create space. I want to create space for God's Spirit to come on your life. To maybe bring something into your mind. To bring that person that you have to forgive. To bring that person that you have to help. To rend your heart violently to the point where you leave this room saying, I'm going to do something about this. And when you do, this is what happens. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Oh, I pray this for my son and my daughters. That your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Oh, I pray this for my dad. That your old men shall dream dreams. I pray this for the young men and women in our youth. That your young men and that your young women shall see visions. I pray this for my code workers. That, they, that my maid servants and my man servants. I will pour out my spirit on them. Folks, I want you just for a few minutes, search your heart and let God move. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, You can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.